Kevin Richard. On Friday, March 19th, the Idaho legislature entered into an abrupt and unprecedented 18-day recess. The pause in the session came just as lawmakers were hoping to wrap up their work for 2021. And it also came after six members of the House reported positive coronavirus tests within a week. Lawmakers are scheduled to return to Boise on Tuesday, April 6th. And when they do, they have a long list of education issues to get to, both budgets and policy issues. For this week's podcast, I interview Senate President Pro Tem Chuck Winder, a Republican from Boise, to get a sense of what we can expect when lawmakers return to town. Senator Winder, thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to me here uh, today. I want to start by asking you about the restart of the legislative session on April 6th. What sort of planning is underway right now for the restart? Well, basically, we're going to come back and pick up where we were on our reading calendars and try and move those bills. We've still got a lot of appropriation bills. we still got some uh, key pieces of legislation that we want to uh, complete related to uh, transportation, related to tax relief, related to education, related to uh, the balance of powers between the legislative branch and the executive branch. So we still have a lot of work to do. I'm hopeful that we can be done by April 16th. That'll give us about 10 days. Okay. Will the session look any different? Will there be any different uh, safety protocols in place in, in light of the fact that you, you had to recess due to coronavirus? I doubt if there will be. Uh, you know, we've always encouraged staff and even our members on our side to wear masks, and you'll see some of us actually wearing them. A lot of people have had their shots now, uh, so we're we're kind of making some progress that way. Uh, I think I've tried to find out from leadership as well as uh, people within legislative services as to whether uh, other people became uh, infected with COVID uh, over this recess that were exposed, you know, during the regular session, and I haven't heard of any yet. So it may have been a good time to pause and allow us to come back and and uh, and do our work without a significant impact of COVID. So I think the question a lot of people have at this point, we had the six cases in the House right before the recess. Uh, there were at least uh, there were two senators who uh, contracted coronavirus earlier in the session. You've had staff as well. Was there anything? that could have been done differently that could have avoided the recess? Uh, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently? Uh, you know, it isn't really up to me. It really isn't up to the speaker necessarily. Uh, you know, we are chosen by our members and a lot of the things that uh, happen or don't happen are based upon what our members are willing to do. Um, I think as we look back, I think, you know, it probably would have helped if uh, more people had worn masks. Uh, we had good, I think, good sanitation, you know, and sanitizers and that kind of stuff available. We did provide social distancing uh, for, for committee hearings. And, and so we tried to do what we could without, you know, doing, making people do what they didn't want to do. And that was have mandatory mask requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, those that wanted to wear them wore them. Those that felt vulnerable wore them. 
Uh, so I don't think you'll see a lot change that way uh, when we get back. And it'll still be optional as it's been all session because yeah. the idea of a, a mandatory mask mandate within the legislature you felt was was a non-starter with your members? It, it was a non-starter with our members. Okay. Let's shift to this recess and some issues and sort of the, the process. I mean, back on the day of the recess, you mentioned that there's precedent for this. There was 2000 at the very beginning of the legislative session, the, the Senate asked for a recess and the session recessed for 10 days when uh, Senate President Pro Tem Jerry Twiggs uh, passed away uh, the morning of that first day of the session. But here we're having a recess that's right at the end of the session. I mean, a lot of issues were coming to a head as you called for that recess. So how do you see that all sorting out when you get back to work on the 6th? Well, obviously, it's going to be different. Uh, you know, we're, we've got a lot of stuff on our reading calendars uh, that we can advance. Uh, we still, you know, one of the good things, I think, out of the recess was it allowed our uh, appropriations uh, process to move forward and get uh, RSs ready to go uh, so that we can have bills printed and get those appropriation bills in front of the of the two bodies. Uh, so I think all in all, it's going to actually work out okay. Um, I'm hoping that uh, when we come back, we focus on the bills that we have. Uh, we've probably still got four or five key pieces of legislation that need to happen on both sides. But I think that can be done in a, in a relatively short period of time because we've been working on them and we've got drafts or we have amendments that are ready to be advanced, I think, on both sides. So I think all in all, um, we can get our work done and get it done pretty quickly. So I don't think it's going to have a huge impact uh, on the uh, session. Uh, we were basically a week to 10 days away from uh, adjournment. Uh, this period obviously asked, uh, added an extra uh, time period onto it. Um, but uh, I think we can still get our work done in about a 10-day period. Do you see the focus being almost exclusively on the big unresolved issues right now, budgets, including the K-12 budgets, uh, transportation, tax relief. Is it going to be those three issues or is there more? Uh, there are probably a few more. You know, we've still got to get the uh, balancing of the executive branch and the legislature. There's still some issues there, but I think those are really close to being done. So I think, you know, that it'll come back and, and the main things we've got to do are the budgets get those done um, we're going to have to uh, do some funding for uh, the new ARPA money coming in uh, so you'll see probably you know four different omnibus bills dealing with that uh, what do we have to approve uh, before we go home based upon the 30 and the 60 day uh, restrictions on when the funds have to be uh, distributed mm -hmm. so I think we'll focus on those uh, as well as our normal appropriations. Uh, but I, you know, I think there's still a lot of work to be done just on the budget side to get our work done. And on the stimulus, you, you mentioned ARPA and what the legislature hopes to do with that stimulus. Do you see most of that heavy lifting on how that stimulus money is spent? Does that happen in 
the 2022 session. I mean, how much can you really do this session when it's such a new stimulus yeah. law? You know, and, and that's probably worse. You know, as we get closer to the actual end, we'll have to weigh and see, figure out if we know what the treasury restrictions are going to be on the money, what are going to be the requirements. Uh, we use the word sideboards, but, you know, what are the requirements for spending the money or getting the money appropriated? And so there may be a, a process where we actually get everything done that we can get done. And then we say, you know, maybe take a, again, a short recess until we know what that uh, would be. But one of the things I've asked Senator Bear, who's our co-chair of JFACT's uh, committee to do, is to develop a plan that says, okay, these are the eight or nine things that we have to do related to ARPA money because of the 30 and the 60-day restrictions. Uh, get that money uh, appropriated and get that done as part of this session and then let the uh, group, there's three House, three Senate, and three members of the governor's staff uh, that are, would work on a plan to bring back to the legislature either in a extraordinary session later on in the year or even it can wait till January of 2022 because we don't have the spending uh, time limits on us that we did with the original money. We only had about nine months to spend that money. This money will have until 2024 uh, to actually get it spent. So have more flexibility I'm, I'm hoping we could get the eight or nine things done we have to get done uh, and then take the summer and let the group work and then come back with recommendations to the entire legislature next year and we don't have to worry about these funds being non-cogged or appropriated by you know the governor under emergency provisions uh, because we know about the funds that are coming and therefore, they don't qualify for uh, that type of uh, appropriation under their CFAC uh, committee. Now, when the recess was called, there were a lot of K-12 policy issues that were still somewhere in the legislative pipeline. I mean, you had a, a sex education bill that was scheduled to have a hearing in Senate education that Monday. You have... Uh, talk about trying to get an all-day kindergarten bill started on the House side. You've got that Strong Families Grants bill that the Senate amended. It's waiting on the Senate floor. Uh, guns in schools. Uh, how do all these issues play out in the next, you know, maybe two weeks of the session? What gets done? What maybe gets set aside for 2020, 2022? You know, I think all those issues that you mentioned are important to get done this session. Uh, so I think you'll see, you know, the education committee, you know, finalizing those uh, issues. I think you'll see some of those bills get stuck uh, on one side or the other, uh, which is normal. Uh, and they'd have to come up again next year. Which ones it'll be, I can't tell you. Uh, but I know there's there'll be an effort uh, to get as many bills done as we can and, and uh, to move forward with the best policies that, you know, our committees and at each body really feel are important uh, for the benefit of our, of our students. But there will be some things, you know, the, the opt-in sex education bill, 
Uh, I don't know how, you know, it may get out of committee, but may not get off our floor. I don't, you know, I don't know how uh, people really feel about that when you which might or might not have happened even without the interruption. I mean, there are some of right. these issues that, right. that might not have made it all the way through both houses anyway. Yeah, and I, you know, and I don't think the interruption or the recess is going to probably impact uh, what does get done or what doesn't get done. Uh, I'm hopeful that the recess, you know, kind of allowed the JFAC committee to work, get their uh RS is their bills ready to go so they can be processed fairly quickly. Uh, I think that hopefully it allowed for lack of a better word, maybe a cooling off on property tax um, and actually look at property tax relief instead of just restricting uh, local government. Uh, and the ones they were really restricting are the ones that are growing the fastest and have the highest demand for uh, services. So that's you know, that issue has been going on for a while. Uh, you know, we'll hear about property tax relief, and yet when you ask people in surveys and other things, majority of the uh, voters out there say our tax system's about right. But we will because of the surplus and, and the money that we have available, we will provide some uh, income tax relief, both individually and corporately. Uh, so you'll see that. Uh, advance. You'll see some one-time money uh, brought forward for uh, tax relief for transportation, uh, putting into education. So there's, you know, I think we're flush with funds, but we're going to give some of them back. And I've got to imagine on the tax bill, on some of these policy bills, on transportation. There must be a lot of uh, lobbying going on behind the scenes right now, uh, either to get a bill on the agenda to make sure that it gets uh, gets heard or to to fine tune what uh, what a tax bill might look like. Yeah, there's still a lot of work going on. Uh, you know, it, it isn't a recess where everybody, you know, took off and went somewhere. Uh, there's still, you know, a lot of conversation, a lot of daily activity. You know, trying to figure out how you advance, uh, you know, what, for example, uh, how much of a tax reduction can you give and still have a, you know, structurally sound budget in the out years. And so there's a lot of work going on at staff level as well as the members level. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, the recess may provide some benefit uh, that uh, allowed people to talk more and to think through some of these issues. I don't think you'll see a whole lot of brand new ideas brought forward uh, because our committees are shut down or slowed down. Um, so I'm hopeful that again we can get our get in, get our work done, and get the key things done that we have to, uh, so we can move forward. I want to take a few more minutes and just I want to shift gears to a comment that you made in. Senate State Affairs a couple of weeks ago. It was the Wednesday before the recess, if I remember correctly. The topic of school funding came up, and you said, quote, I wouldn't say it's criminal that we have to have supplemental levies, but it's pretty close to that. That was a pretty powerful statement about the state of school funding, and I guess I want to ask you to elaborate a little bit on that and what you think the state needs to do at this stage. 
Well, I think, you know, when we switched over in 2006 uh, to sales tax, uh, that's had some limitations on, you know, funding that's available to the schools. Uh, it shifted the tax burden from property tax uh, over to sales tax. But what happened in the meantime is as we kept, you know, growing our schools, having population growth, uh, trying to meet all the needs of, of our teachers and properly funding them, properly funding our schools, which, you know, as you know, two-thirds to 70% of the population say that's our highest priority. Uh, constitutionally, we're required to provide a free uh, system of education for K-12. through So I think, you know, what I was trying to say was, why are we having supplementals? To me, that's saying we have a shortfall of funding and that if we're going to get rid of supplementals, the state's going to have to take on more of a role because all you've done once you got rid of sales tax is over a period of time now, uh, what is it, 15 years? Uh, we now have as much uh, property tax going into, I think, into the schools through supplementals as we had uh, back then, uh, so you really haven't gotten away from property tax. Uh, a lot of our districts, particularly the ones that are growing, uh, you know, are forced to use them uh, on an annual basis and just keep renewing them year after year. And I yeah. think that's detrimental. And there's some unpredictability that goes with it. I mean, right. the West Ada School District, which is within yep. your legislative yep. district, really had to struggle to... Right bring a supplemental levy back a second time and get it passed. Right, and did you know there's the lowest per student funding in all the state? Well, why is that? Why don't they get, you know, the same as other, you know, students get? And yet they're being forced to put supplementals in place. In a year like this year, where you had this, have this $600 million surplus, was this a year where you would have wanted to see more attention paid to the school funding issue and the supplemental levy issue. Yeah, and, you know, and I have, I've been pushing it with my, you know, tax chairman, and I've been pushing it with other members uh, of the House leadership is, you know, why don't, if you want to give property tax relief, why don't you get rid of the supplementals? And, you know, so it's, it's out there. I don't know how, you know, acceptable it is to a majority of both the House and Senate, but me it's something we ought to be looking at and it is being talked about and not just you know put off and not brought up even so I think that is you know a form of property tax relief and I keep pushing you know the people that are involved in these issues you know bring real property tax relief don't just restrict those cities that are growing uh, by limiting their uh, capacity to have new growth or the impact of their urban renewal districts let's you know let's really figure out a way to to allow them to be funded and meet those needs that they have and it kind of dovetails into an issue that you've spent a good deal of time on the past couple of years the issue of the school funding formula uh you were on that committee and there really hasn't been a whole lot of talk about the funding formula this legislative session and i guess with everything else that's going on that that stands to reason but do you see that issue coming back? Do you see a push to redo that uh, funding formula? Or is it one of those issues that after several years, maybe the the moment has gone? I don't, I 
moment's gone. Uh, in fact, if anything, uh, the COVID situation and the uh, delivery of education for hybrid and online education just became uh, more of a complex problem uh, of how do you fund the student uh, versus the brick and mortar. And so a lot of the little things you see going on, I think, in education funding this year are trying to address some of those issues. Uh, strong student uh, is a good example where you're trying to figure out a way to, to provide some grants to families that uh, maybe don't have the ability to provide internet service at home, don't have the ability to uh, buy a computer for their student. Or funding so I, the or funding the online schools that saw such yeah, enrollment increase. Yeah, and so you you know you're looking at you know looking at that. Uh, you're actually you know by doing these things, you're actually changing the formula to some extent. Uh, it may not be the actual formula itself, but the way the money is used. Uh, and I and I think to me that if we'd had that uh, ability that to track students to you know to put the money where the students are, we wouldn't have had some of these. Uh, kind of problems we did, you know, when there were 5,000 students that went from brick and mortar classroom over to a virtual classroom, uh, there were limits on, uh, you know, the funding that could go and the expansion that uh, those virtual schools could have. Now, does that make any sense? Uh, We're going to take the limit off probably for this one year, uh, but that's something that really needs to look at is, you know, if, if the schools are going virtual, if they're going more online, uh, then we're going to have to look at our online charters and our own online services to uh, to our students and to our family and and help those families that need help uh, buy a computer, get a you know internet you know in the home uh, so that their kids can actually uh, be remotely educated. So we've stress tested the formula this past year, and maybe that underscores the need to look at the formula more more deeply and more holistically. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Well, Senator Winder, we covered a lot of ground here in 21 minutes. I appreciate you taking taking the time to, to catch us up. You're welcome. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Again, that was Senate President Pro Tem Chuck Winder, a Republican from Boise. The Idaho legislature will return to session on Tuesday, April 6th. When lawmakers return to town, be sure to follow us at idahoednews.org. Sammy Edge and I will have gavel-to-gavel coverage of the final weeks of the session with an emphasis on those education budgets and those education policy issues that are still outstanding. So follow us on the homepage and follow us on Twitter for breaking news. That's going to take care of it for this week's podcast, and that's going to take care of it for this week for me. I'm going to spend a good chunk of the weekend watching Final Four action as a college basketball fan. I've got to tell you, it has been great to have March Madness back after a one-year hiatus. It was great to watch my alma mater, Northwestern, win a women's tournament game for the first time in almost 30 years. But now we're down to the crunch time. We're down to the Final Four, and I'm going to stick with my bracket and I'm going to pander to any Gonzaga fans who might be listening to the podcast, and I will uh, pull for the Bulldogs to close out the unbeaten season and get their first national championship. And on the women's side, I'm going to root for the Stanford Cardinal. They've been a force in women's basketball for decades, but they have not won it all in almost 30 years. We will be back next week with another edition of the podcast. Again, I'm Kevin Richard. Until next week, stay safe and have a great week. 